I invite you to turn with, again with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Um, it seems like we've been in Mark chapter 1 for quite a while, and there's a reason for that. There's a lot there. And uh, last week, Pastor Barb, who I was uh, thankful for her stepping in and sharing the good word, uh, reminded us that the kingdom of God is coming to all people and to all creation and culture. Not, it's not escaping, but it's leaning into and pressing into the brokenness of our world in order to fulfill God's promise to restore all things. That in that, he is declaring his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this week we'll pick up with that story in Mark, starting with verse 21, as Jesus continues to show us, as he begins his public ministry, what life in God's kingdom looks like. Now, this story includes two things that many struggle with. First is authoritative teaching. This is how it is. But also, it struggles with, we struggle with understanding spiritual warfare. And many deal with them in two, one of two ways. Uh, one is to flat out deny their existence. That's what the Enlightenment thinkers taught us or tried to tell us what to do. They told us to question all authority. That so, so that we would place all traditions, all re revelation, all external authority under the microscope of personal decisions and reasons. And that we would submit all of that to the moral authority of ourself. And part of that is a rejection of the supernatural. If we couldn't, can't see it, if we can't explain it, then it can't happen. And so within that, we would even put not just the miracles that God does, but the very understanding of who God is in outright denial. But the other way that we approach those things is a little more subtle. It's still a denial, but it's very much more subtle. It's, it's that we try to fit it within our own perspective, this understanding. Understand, our culture likes Jesus. I, I recognize that. But the reality is that the popular Jesus of our culture is not even close to the biblical Jesus. Instead of accepting the Jesus of the Bible and all his claims of lordship and exclusivity, many have accepted a half-Jesus. It's a Jesus fashioned out of our selfish mindset. It's, it's perfectly uh, contoured to personal desires and felt needs, and, and it feels good. He's, that half-Jesus has set all the encouragements and has all the encouragement and good vibes we want without having to submit ourselves to the lordship and salvation that we need. He's a sanitized version of Jesus that doesn't surprise us. He doesn't astonish us. He doesn't amaze us. Instead, he's safe, 
He's comfortable. He's manageable and never disagrees with us. But as Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So here's the thing. If the Jesus that you encounter or have encountered has never stunned you with his glory, if he's never caused you to fall down on your knees before him in worship, if you've never realized your need to cry out for mercy before him because of his holiness, only to find mercy and grace pouring out, well, you've deprived yourself of the only one who can really do something astonishing in your life. The problem with these other two views uh, that diminishes that they neither accept the authoritative lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't be saved in a world without Jesus, and you can't be saved in a world with a half Jesus either. We need the real Jesus who teaches, who heals, who reshapes, who recreates, he raises the dead, who's the only one that can do something about the sin that continues to contain us and capture us and hold us hostage. We need the authoritative Jesus of the kingdom of God. And so I want to invite you to look with me at our story as we continue to encounter the real Jesus and who he is and the authority that he brings in our lives. And I'm not going to read it just directly. I want you to kind of read along with me, but we're going to draw it out a little bit. Because it was the Sabbath. And so naturally the Jews of Capernaum went to the synagogue. Some of them, I, I, I understand and probably I can firmly say, went sleepily after a busy work week. Others probably came in an irritable mood because they had forgotten their coffee on the counter. Others probably came exhausted and had bickered with kids all the walk to the synagogue that day. And telling them, remember to be on your best behavior because I don't want to be embarrassed. We don't know. But we do know it was the Sabbath. And so naturally, they went to the synagogue. They came from various paths, various in a variety of experiences. They were full of different emotions and mental states that day. But they came for among other reasons because that's what they did. It was the Sabbath. And so they went to the synagogue. It was the normal thing to do. It was the expected thing to do. You went to the synagogue expecting to move your way through the very normal pattern and rhythms and predictable service that they would grown up with where, where they, they would listen to someone read a portion of the Torah. They would sing Hallel uh, doxology and then they would go home for the feast day meal. But on that morning... On this particular morning in Capernaum, 
Jesus was there as a guest teacher. And his presence would have created an experience that no one would ever forget as they encountered Jesus. Few had likely heard of him before. Maybe was starting to, word was starting to get out. But, but when they heard he was from Nazareth, there were probably more than a few groans. Because what good can come from Nazareth? But then he started to teach. And we don't know exactly what he said. Mark doesn't tell us. But there was something about the way that he spoke. It wasn't that his ideas and vocabulary were fresh and innovative and and just that, it, or simply that he was a better speaker than what they were used to or expected. No, it was something about the very presence that made them want to sit back and take it all in. Jesus had authority. He had a gravity, a weightiness, a, a, a substance about him. They sensed that this man and the message about God's kingdom that he was talking about were one and the same. They weren't different. It it didn't have anything to do with diplomas that he had hanging on a wall somewhere. It It wasn't just that he had done his homework or practiced his sermon and he was able to preach without stuttering. No, he was the message that he was proclaiming. And it seems that a few folks were starting to whisper to one another because of what they were hearing and encountering and the difference that, that was obvious about him. It was something extraordinary was happening when suddenly a shriek fills the air in the synagogue. And everybody turns and looks as this man who had said was filled and, and taken by an unclean spirit declares, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus commanded, his, his only response was, be quiet. And you can imagine, people were excited because, you know, you just don't do that in the synagogue. I'm glad he was telling them to be quiet. But then Jesus said something that no one else had in mind that day. He declared, come out of him. Leave him. And no sooner were those words out of Jesus' mouth that the man convulsed before shrieking one last time and that now this guy stands before them different, changed, healed, freed. He had a look of calm about him. And maybe he was the only one that looked calm in that experience. This just didn't happen every day at church. 
Normally at this point, you, you, you think people's uh, thoughts were probably beginning to drift to other vital things like, well, are we going to get home in time to keep the roast from drying out? But not today. No one's mind wandered. No one turned his thoughts to the mundane or the typical because they had encountered Jesus. And he was all that they could talk about. His teaching had authority, and it showed in the results. There was an overwhelming sense that they had been in the very presence of God in a way that was anything but typical. No, this day wasn't normal. Yes, it was the Sabbath. And yes, they went naturally to the synagogue. But they encountered something today that was anything but typical. And it was different because they had encountered Jesus. And the thing about Jesus is they taught with authority. This is an important word, authority. You see, we, we live in a day when there's a lot of things that we'll call amazing. But amazing isn't astonishing. To be amazed is to be entertained with something better than you could do. To be astonished is to be floored by something that you never thought anybody could do. Mark tells us that the people declared that Jesus taught with authority. It wasn't just what he said, but who said it and how he said it. This congregation in Capernaum noticed the difference. Normal teachers that would be a part of their normal Sabbath day, you know, was, was much more tame, let's put it that way. In those days, the leaders of the synagogue were primarily administrators. They weren't teachers. So each Sabbath day, they would come and identify someone who could read and comment on the scriptures. And in the primarily literate society, sometimes the only qualification was you could read. But those teachers didn't have authority. Every now and then, a scribe would come through, and he would teach differently, and he had more oomph to him, but he taught secondhand theology. He, they would teach more of a lot of quotations, so and so has said this. But Jesus, throughout the Gospels, what does it say? He says, you may have heard it be said. But I tell you, he spoke with firsthand authority. When Jesus spoke, he spoke as the author of the words. But it wasn't just his teaching, as amazing as that was. It was also that he healed with authority. There's something profound about the fact that a demon is the first to respond, as Mark shares to this authoritative teaching. Something deeper is going on. Outside the synagogue, everything's kind of going on as normal. It went on as it always had. Meanwhile, inside, Jesus and the demonic realm are in a battle. 
We don't know how this one with an unclean spirit arrived in the synagogue. We don't know a name. We don't know a trade. We just know he was there and he was bound. And he arrives in the synagogue and maybe he was all there all along. We don't know. Maybe he came in at the end or in the middle of, or you know at some point. But, but what we do know is he hears the words, the authoritative words of Christ. And he responds. The unclean spirit cries out, recognizing the authority of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing. It's in the statement. What are you planning to do with us? They know something's going to happen. He declares that you are Jesus of Nazareth and you are the Holy One. He recognizes what's going on. And so he does something interesting by stating Jesus' name. He knew better than anyone else what was happening spiritually as Jesus talked. Hearts were beginning to change. Chains were beginning to fall off. The world was being set free one person at a time from the slavery to sin, from captivity, from the evil that was raging within. Jesus was not a normal teacher. Using others' authority. Jesus is the authority. The prophecy of Zechariah 13.2 was being fulfilled. And you can read it on the screen. That Jesus was removing the unclean spirits from the land. This un- particular unclean spirit knew what it truly meant when Jesus declares that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus reminds this unclean spirit that he alone is the authority. And he says, be quiet. Come out of him. And the original language is actually a little stronger than that. Then the unclean spirit says, convulsed him and crying out loud with a loud voice came out of him. Jesus didn't flinch. The unclean spirit couldn't resist the authority of Jesus, and so they obey. And I think it's easy to look at this, and we get so focused on the unclean spirit that we forget about the man that he inhabited. But we can't miss that he is set free, he is healed. Jesus' authority wasn't just a claim. He actually had the power to do what he said he would do. No one else had the authority of Jesus to bring the healing to this man. And what was broken, tormented, and unwhole now was made complete. That's healing. And at the same time, it's a reminder that Jesus saves with authority. No one is too far gone. For God to save. Jesus has the authority to change our lives. To set us free. And maybe you're here today and wondering, well, is my life really over? All this is going on and I just can't hold it anymore. My dreams are fading. My sin is growing. My hope is lost. But the good news is that Jesus has the authority not only to heal, but to save. 
Jesus' authority isn't just in some general sense. He has the direct authority over each of our hearts in a very personal sense as we respond to him. Whatever mess we've made with our lives, here's the gospel truth. Jesus came to save the lost. No one in the synagogue sat unimpressed that day. They were all amazed as they declared, what is this teaching? Even the unclean spirits obey. The word even here tells us more that that it was more than just the teaching that caught their attention. It was the teaching that accomplished something. It was remarkable. It was astonishing. Something that they didn't encounter on the regular or if ever. And to teach as Jesus did was impressive. But more so that he taught and had an effect. You look at this passage that he taught and he was amazing. And he had authority. The healing happens. And then, wow, not only does he teach and have the authority they declare, but even the evil spirits listen to him. Jesus' teaching was and still is astonishing. It still saves. It still heals. And Jesus proved himself to be more than just a a great moral teacher. And I admit, so many want to limit him to that today. They want to strip him of authority in order to fit him into a box that they can hold and that they can control. They wanted to make him become this half Jesus. And he will if we treat his teaching as merely one we would audit for no grade. But Jesus is, that's simply not possible if we want to encounter the real Jesus. In the synagogue that day, Jesus claimed to be more than just a teacher. He claimed to be the authoritative king of God's kingdom. And was recognized not just as Jesus of Nazareth, but the Holy One of God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So what does he do with it? He doesn't sit on a throne, perched, holding it over creation. He doesn't roll an army through and conquer the Romans and everybody else. No. He uses it for our good. He heals. He teaches He saves. He goes to the cross, dies on our behalf, and with that same authority, he rises from again the grave. He brings salvation to all of us if we will respond. If we will put our faith in our lives in his hands, in the hands of the true and only authority. That's Great news. Not just good news. That's astonishing, amazing, holy news that we can respond to. Because if my salvation was dependent on me keeping it up, well, 
I wouldn't make it. Our personal salvation and authority can never save us. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on the only one with true authority to do what he says he can do. Only Jesus saves. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to take communion together in a remembrance of the authority of Christ. And we're reminded that in that same night our Lord was betrayed. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body that was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And as you take the elements, we uh, invite you to hold them, please. We'll take them together, and as we serve them I invite you to think, to pray, to lean in. Which Jesus are you involved with? The half Jesus or the real Jesus? Where do you stand before a holy God?